Run if you must. Hide if you can. Scream if you are able. But above all, if you are alone, don't let them catch you. <laughs> the Slashers. Welcome to The Slashers, a podcast where three film critics with wildly different tastes delve into the golden age of the genre year by year and present a whole host of awards. I'm Paul from The Countdown. I'm Megan from Spoiler Piece Theatre. I'm Jason from Binge Movies. On this episode, we're targeting the first half of 1982 with six films, Island of Blood, released January 8th, 1982. The New York Ripper, released March 4th of the same year. Silent Rage in, from April 2nd, 1982. Death Screams from May 1st. Visiting Hours from May 21st. And finally, Midnight from May 28th, 1982. Now, before we go any further and discuss the five awards that we're going to be giving out for this series of films in our blood pool, Jason and Megan, you've got something you want to tell our listeners. Yes. Uh, for new listeners who are just jumping on now, I want to do a bit of uh, housekeeping slash refresher. Speaking of housekeeping, you may hear the occasional heavy breathing. <laughs> no, that's not us <laughs> lurking in your ear, dear listener. That is Iggy, the home video pooch who has to be at my feet at all times. And uh, she loves home videos, you know, home video rentals, slasher movies, horror movies. The only thing is she does suffer from severe narcolepsy. So she does tend to fall asleep and uh, she breathes very heavy. So Aww. if you hear some panting or heavy breathing in the background, that's not me lusting after Paul. Uh, I do that in private tastefully. <laughs> uh, that's just, that's just a dog. Uh, as far as uh, legitimate things to talk about, Megan, you brought to us the work of Carol J. Clover who is the author of Men, Women, and Chainsaws, and many, many dissertations and many other books. Uh, she is the person who coined the term final girl, but she also laid out an initial sort of criteria of what makes a slasher uh, within the horror genre, this horror sub, this subgenre. And she talked about the killer, the weapon, the setting, the POV, and the lone survivor. So... The killer is somebody who's what, Megan? <laughs> Other than uh, somebody who kills. <laughs> there's somebody who kills. A lot of times there's someone who has supernatural levels of strength, even though they themselves are not supernatural. Yeah, it's usually like her point was they may or may not have supernatural abilities, but they have, like you said, like seemingly supernatural strength but or resistance to yes. damage or whatever. But they... um. They feel a sense of having been yes, wronged in yes, some way, exactly. right? Like a real or perceived injustice in their past. And sometimes it's very real. Sometimes they are the real victim of some kind of horrible yes. atrocity. And so they're so, 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 sort of, um, it goes back to the sort of murder mystery roots of all of this, which is like it's revenge. They're often seeking revenge, basically. The weapon is this, you know, she noted this is not mass murder in a modern sense at all. It's the weapon is usually like, um, 
something you can only kill one person at a time <laughs> with, which is usually a puncturing weapon, right? Like a knife. Mm-hmm. I think some of the, a lot of that comes from Italy with the stiletto switchblades that they would use in the Giallo films. So it's some kind of sharp object to skewer, slash, or slay their victims, hence slashers. The setting, Megan, is usually in remote places. What kind of remote places is Carol J. Clover talking about when she says that it's got to be familiar but isolated places? Yeah, one of the most common examples seems to be or is like in rural areas as opposed to suburban or urban. So that's why a lot of slashers are set at camps or, you know, traveling fairgrounds, things like that, kind of removed from the central hub. Isolated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Dirty cabins in the woods, which is obviously where that term comes from for the meta deconstruction of the horror movie genre, Cabin in the Woods. But yeah, what we've seen in so far as in our trek through the 80s too is the, and we'll see it today on today's episode, is taking ordinary settings like college or schools or places that seem hot. Yeah. Hospitals that seem safe where you should be safe, but we're seeing them usually what, like at night when the halls are empty, most of the staff is gone, you're left alone and somebody's coming to get you. So that's usually the setting. Um, The POV is really simple, right? Mm -hmm. It's we're usually seen at least partially through the eyes of the killer. And what kind of effect is, is that supposed to have on us uh, as the viewer? Well, it's interesting because you would think, and oftentimes in a lot of films, when you have a POV shot, it's to empathize with the person who is watching. But in this case, it tends to be more, or according to her, it's more an exploitative nature. And we end up, but we start off with the killer in their camp, so to speak. And then the film shifts and we end up aligning with or empathizing with the lone survivor or the final girl. Yeah, like that's the most interesting part, right? Is that we, when we're looking from the killer's perspective, oftentimes we're seeing the vi- the victims or like who's going to be the victims doing really obnoxious, terrible, or taboo shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're always introduced these characters like at their, like the, 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 the fodder, right? The red shirts at their worst. <laughs> and then the movie has to somehow get us to switch over. And some of them just stop trying to do that. Paul and I can attest to that with the Friday the 13th series, which we did over at Binge Movies last Halloween, Halloween 2022. And that's why we're not covering some of the Friday sequels is because Paul and I exhaustively did that. We wanted to bring fresh conversations with Megan for this series. So, so they're 82. I know is a big year for one of the Friday movies. We're not going to do it because we've already done it. So we're, instead we're going to talk about (laughs) rural drive-in movies (laughs) from rural America that I'm sure Paul's going to love. Uh, well, and the last we one did is Friday the Thirteenth again. <laughs> well, we did the original, yes, because you have to. But we didn't do the sequels. The Lone Survivor is, of course, known as what Megan. Everybody the knows final this girl. term. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because, like, when she wrote it, she was like, "The Lone Survivor is usually the final girl," and we all latched talked to the final yep. girl. But her point in that is, it's typically a strong-willed woman, but it doesn't have to be. It's just a strong-willed person who through resourcefulness and cunningness somehow overcomes the killer. But in some of the movies, even that we've covered to her point is uh, uh, Clover's point is some of these killers are women, Mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes the survivors are men or sometimes nobody Mm -hmm. survives or sometimes that the killer is a woman and the survivors a woman. So it's not, it's, you know, they're, it's interesting what sticks 
what, what of her research and her findings stuck in the zeitgeist and what we have chosen to ignore. So uh, would you recommend her book? I know you have one of the editions. Of I do. It. You think it's a good, a good book? If somebody's like wants to go down the scholarly rabbit hole, talking about these blood and guts movies. I mean, absolutely. Um, I'm obsessed with feminist film theory, so I love it. I think it's a great book. I mean, and and it has – it's such a seminal piece of work. So many feminist film theorists, so many critics, so many horror critics, horror film theorists have used her work as a jumping off point, and some disagree, but, yeah. some – many agree, many disagree. Like, there's, there's a lot of conversation, of course, as with any – piece of work but it has been so wildly influential and it was it's really fascinating because at that time nobody was really doing scholarly work research on yep. slasher films uh, let alone other horror films but especially on the slasher genre so she's taking these films that are often written off by mainstream film critics and by mainstream yep. film theorists yep. and she's really doing deep scholarly analysis looking at the gender of slashers and what they have to say about trauma and exploitation and objectification and gender roles. And it's all really fascinating. So I would definitely recommend it. Just going to say the other interesting thing about The Final Girl, something that has kind of, I've noticed, has really stuck um, when you're talking about like what has stuck and what hasn't and what we've latched onto as a society. But something really interesting that still carries through and is the notion of the final girl having a very gender neutral name like Ripley, Sydney, and there are so many other final girls that have very like Sam, like, you know, very like gender neutral names, which is really interesting because the notion is that we empathize as an audience with the final girl and she's a woman, which is not always what happens in film because mostly protagonists are men in films yeah but then she's taking on the final girl is taking on when it is a girl that she's taking on these kind of gender neutral attributes and she ends up oftentimes stabbing the killer and be you know kind of taking on masculine elements so it's just it's really fascinating so even if you don't agree with everything she says i absolutely highly recommend her work it's really fascinating well she's like by far like you were saying like she's by far the most influential original thinker when it came to even interrogating this mm -hmm. genre and what we're trying to do on this show to paul chagrin is yeah we're trying to have fun with the movies but also have a little bit of meta-analysis and paul you're the bloodhounds so you're just here for bloody guts <laughs> which means i can only imagine 1982 is frustrating as hell for you so what did you what did you guys think overall well let's talk about the year 1982 yeah. part one the first six months of uh give or take of 82 did you like the year what do you think my big takeaway from this year as we as we get into it with of course the word of advice for all these slashes what is it jason don't let them catch you there you are you'll recognize that voice from the trailer for the podcast or the blurb which has done the round so thank you jason yeah uh, my takeaway from 982 is can it, we please have 1981 back yes what the hell happened <laughs> thank you paul Oh my God. I was like, wow, 1981 was such a good year. We talked about it obviously in previous episodes and I was so like, all right, we're building here. We're building very nicely. Let's see what 82 has to offer. I've seen one of these films previously. Five horror films new to me. I was excited and that excitement gradually turned to disappointment and then turned to <laughs> despair as I progressed through this allotment of films. Well, there's Paul's take, Megan. Yeah, I actually completely agree with Paul. 
Um, <laughs> hey. I mean, coming up as a spoiler, one of my absolute favorite, not just slashers, but horror films is coming up in the next half of 1982. So I know it gets better, but wow, this was, Ooh. this was rough. This was, I do really like one of these films, but the rest, whoo boy. I hope you and I are on the same page with that one. I hope for the love of God. <laughs> I don't know. The there is, an, I want there is a second one that I don't like, but there are things about it I like tremendously. So I don't know. Think I know which is Ooh, which. I just we'll, we'll see if I if I'm correct. Um, Go ahead, I, Jason. Defend yeah. away. <laughs> no. So what we have to get to is the is the pack the fact that historically 1981 is the peak of the the slasher. That's when people say those were the most the best. What that was the best year with the most amount of slashers that were the most entertaining. It's all downhill from here. So we've already hit the peak of the boom. What 1982 shows, and specifically why we're covering the movies that are in this blood pool, is the rise of something that no longer exists within the United States, which is regional filmmaking. It's the same filmmaking that we saw that produced a Romero, and he Romero will come up again when we talk about one of these movies. Mm -hmm. Where and one of these movies fits that motif of the regional Pennsylvania yep. movie, the regional North Carolina movie. These are movies that were made locally, oftentimes by amateur filmmakers or people outside the Hollywood system and were were road showed at best and often just showed in drive-in theaters during the summer in a tri-state area to where they were filmed. There's a, at least two that fit that description that are on this list. We also have, and I'm, this is the one I'm most excited to talk about in a certain sense, we also have not a movie directly inspired by Italian cinema, like so many of the ones that we've watched, going all the way back to a movie we didn't cover, which is Halloween, which is a giallo, if a giallo ever existed. But we get a Lucio Fulci movie in the first part of 1982. We sure do. And now he, he's taking his movies, which have been mercilessly <laughs> ripped off, yeah, and to create this genre, and he's showing up and going, okay, you're going to steal my shit. That's fine, because nobody steals shit better than the Italian <laughs> filmmakers of this era. Steal I'll steal back. my shit back from you and and set it in your setting, which I think is, it creates a very interesting movie and visually one of the more interesting movies of 1982. Well, look, don't get ahead of ourselves because the first film on the docket, though, that we need to discuss, the first one released yep. in 1982 is Island of Blood, directed by and written by William T. Nord, that household name. <laughs> well, it's also known as Who Done It and Scared Alive, which is what you'll see with a lot of these movies is depending on what region it got released in, they would change the title to try to boost ticket sales. They came to this island to make a movie. Weird thing on an island. She thinks this is weird. She got to try a man out. Little did they know their first movie review would be an obituary. Basically, this one follows a movie company going to an island to shoot a film there, and then they start getting picked off one by one by someone. Hence, that secondary yep. title of Who Done It. So, I want to kick it over to Megan first of all. Megan, what was your reaction to, and what did you think of Island of Blood, aka Who Done It, aka Scared Alive, aka Massive Piece of Shit? I was just going to say, aka Who Gives a Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, so 
I was I was initially excited for this film because I was excited for a slasher horror that was a adaptation of an Agatha Christie story, one that I enjoy, and then there were none, uh, which is a really interesting mystery. Good quick read. So I was very excited for this. I, I'm someone who likes the very remote location of like an island and everyone's trapped and what's going on and who's the killer. And I love a whodunit. So I was pumped for this. And as soon as I started playing it and I saw the incredibly shitty transfer, I'm like, what is this? I can't see what's <laughs> happening. I can't see what's going on. Everything is so murky and muddled and just looks like trash. And the acting is abysmal. Ugh. Everything is abysmal. I will say I am here for the boiling swimming pool murder. <laughs> that's fucking amazing. I loved it. That might be that's such a unique way to murder someone. I was here for that. But the the song lyrics, you know, playing with the dangling <sighs> Walkman is so absurd. Although th that is literally taken right from Agatha Christie and instead of oh, using right. nursery rhyme. It is, yeah. It's the each person um, in the home on the island in her book, they're killed according to nursery rhyme lyrics. So that's a complete take off of her great idea using song lyrics. But I wish the song lyrics weren't so stupid. <laughs> and then there's like multiple twists, and I'm just like, I don't care. I just don't twists. care. That's a generous yeah. description, right? <laughs> so I just, I just. Uh, I couldn't stand this, but the swimming pool death, brilliant. Loved it. If I could just jump in to say about that swimming pool death, sim, I made a note when that bit happened. It was like, oh, <laughs> the pool pump malfunctioned and he boiled to death. I'm like, that's one hell of a pool <laughs> pump that can <laughs> heat water to that particular point. Okay, sure. Right? Very powerful. <laughs> All right, Jason, do you have a, a differing take on Island of Blood? I think I have a differing perspective on all of these movies. Uh, this whole genre, I think. Uh, I'm a film. I, I'm a film preservationist at heart. That's what's grown in me. I wasn't originally, but doing the other show that I do, it's changed to where now it's like I think all of these movies should be preserved because this level of filmmaking, even though it's objectively not good, is not possible anymore. I, so I'm I'm very interested in people who are working outside the Hollywood system. And they're typically working in exploitation to try to make something. So that's the lens that I view all of these movies through. Um, I don't anticipate most of them to be good in the traditional sense. It's like, you know, I studied ancient Near Eastern literature and I don't apply Western. You can't apply Western ideas to critique Southwest Asian, ancient Southwest Asian um, text. You have to understand what is the genre that I'm looking at. What year was it written? What's the purpose of the text that I'm written and interpret through that lens? And so I look at these as these are extraordinarily low budget movies with usually either no ideas or way more <laughs> ideas than they know what to do with. This is one that kind of has some ideas to Megan's point. It kind of has some, it's like, it's interesting because it's like, it's a movie about making a movie. It's an ultra low budget movie about making a different type of low budget movie because ultimately the movie that they've gone to this island to make and there's this representation of this super crass 
producer who just wants to turn out a movie to make money to sell to kids movie an up up movie jason this is an up up film an up up (laughs) movie yeah everything's so gloom air so dour everybody's so depressed because of the cold war we're all going to get nuked we need to make an up up movie get the kids off drugs and he's making a save the 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 teen center movie which is a sub sub genre of films that were also very popular in the 80s and have routinely come back around and so we're going to go off or take a bunch of people and this repetitive joke that none of these kids can act. And the acting teacher is trying to take this girl through her lines. And then you're, what you realize is like, this is a really bad comedy that is at the same time trying to be a very bad adaptation, uh, not trying to be, but is a bad adaptation of Agatha Christie, which makes for a very bad slasher. But at the, but I appreciate <laughs> It trying to be something which some of these movies don't even try to be. So I will say that for it. I like the fact that we're kind of going back to the old fashioned murder mystery, like Megan was saying. Mm-hmm. Like, this is really going back to that. And then there were none. Like, you know, the, there's an uh, outdated term that people used to say, like 10 little Indians, right? Where it's what, pe- people being picked off one by one. That's a major part of this genre of slashers. Yeah. So just to focus that, like, that makes sense. My big, 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 big problem with this movie is the principal cast of a low-budget teen movie arrives to an island, and within 24 hours, somebody is brutally boiled alive, (laughs) to your guys' point, and they continue making this movie. Yes, they do. The boat with the producer and the captain doesn't (laughs) blow up until at least two people are dead. What should have happened is... The first death should have been the boat blowing up, so there's no way off the island. Yeah. Because that then creates a reason why they stay, despite all these people being murdered. Does that yeah, make sense? Very cavalier about the, the deaths. Right. They absolutely are. We're going to make this low-budget movie to try a cash-in movie, a teen up-up movie. This is an up-up film. Dance movie to save a teen center, as the guy describes it, which is the plot of all the step-ups. Uh, yeah. And uh, and <laughs> break in and break in two and all those movies. But once somebody dies, who the fuck wants to continue making this movie? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They're all like, eh. and so if they go to make the movie, they realize the movie is shit. It starts falling apart. That's kind of a funny joke because most of those teen center movies are shit. But then somebody dies, and the boat is destroyed, and you're trapped on this deserted island during the off season. Then there's a reason why you're stuck there and you're trying to survive. And that, so that was just like one little fix could have fit. The twist at the end is good in theory, which is the twist is that this whole thing was this movie producer trying to get realistic deaths on camera so that he can sell them to either be inserted into slasher movies or to be sold as snuff, either, either way. The problem with that though is it's very clear. <laughs> That the footage he's captured is the footage we've seen. So are we are we to assume that the footage of these deaths that he's going to that sell that we've been seeing this movie the entire time through the killer's camera? It, you know, you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. Yes. There, there needed to be a second camera, and we should have seen coverage of the kills from an angle that wasn't just the footage from the movie. Make, does yes. that make sense? Yep, it makes perfect sense. So when none of that works. And the acting is horrendous. And <laughs> and it's badly lit. And it's boring. Oh, it's so, so boring. boring because it's trying to be so funny. It leads to a very painful, forgettable movie. 
the only thing, so there's like kernels of stuff that could have made an interesting slasher. They just bungled it every all the way through. So I don't disagree with you. I'm in camp with both of you. I just, I, <laughs> I was like, come on, give me something. I'm looking, I'm like, I will, I will give you mulligans and production value and lighting <laughs> and all this shit because I understand what this is. Right, but right. Yeah. When you have some interesting ideas, Megan, I guess with Christy. Yep. You, and it just, it's boring. So many of these deaths are boring. The mystery is boring. All right. Yep. I've got to give my sum up thoughts because <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go into as much detail as the two of you because you've done this film all the honor that it needs. This is not the worst one that we watched this week. I just want to, for this episode, at least for me, it's not. So it's a no, it's not the worst one. <laughs> but it's, it's right. Not it's, not, it's not far away. I do agree. But. Boy, wow, this was a painful exercise. I knew we were in trouble the moment this film started when the girl we open on <laughs> dives into the pool in daylight and comes out of the water and it's dark. And I'm like, oh my God, seriously? That is some look. <laughs> you can talk about being outside the Hollywood studio system, Jason. You can talk about making a budget, a film on a very, very low budget, which this film obviously was. But there's a basic language of cinema where you just <laughs> have to follow the the very rudimentary elements and if it's dark you, like when you start a scene end it in the same bloody way don't change it halfway through because oh we need to do a pickup shot there and we i couldn't be asked coming back or waiting till the next morning for that so i knew we were in trouble there and it only goes downhill from that point the only yeah, person who could I, act. I'm, I'm forgiving towards a lot of that stuff. Oh, that's a with, big mulligan. When we're, we're at this level, it's so I'm never low. playing golf I mean, with you. Just, I've well, made a lower budget you're, film you're, than this, and we were careful uh, about that kind of shit. Right. That's that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I hear what you're saying, Jason, but there are so many filmmakers who are outside of the Hollywood studio over the course of decades who have tiny, tiny budgets and still make well shot, well lit well-crafted films so i don't i do i know what you're saying and i get it but i'm also kind of like how much slack are we going to cut this film when there's so many basic elements that are just either lacking or they're just like eh, fuck it we're just gonna do it jason can give well, it all the slack we'll make up for that yeah, i mean i can give it slack and still say it's not good it's just that's true. at a certain that's point when sad. you're dealing in this genre you gotta know what the genre is this is the genre sure. this is it but there and are other, great examples. Uh, no, here's the thing. Otherwise, uh, no, otherwise exactly. we should just talk about the A-list movies that have been released. And that's about six of them. And that's really boring to me. The heart of this show is these types of movies. And if you're just going to go, well, I, th- it wasn't shot very well. Well, th- that's the, or then, there's your, there's, there's or that's two-thirds or of the slasher genre. That's two-thirds <laughs> of the genre. So there's one performance that's what you're here. dealing with. There's a certain there's a certain forgiveness that you have to give to these movies. Otherwise, they're not for you. It's just the way it is. I love yeah, the genre. I don't I don't Yeah, I, and I, I love the too, subgenre. I don't agree. It's going to be better than this. Uh, one performance yeah. is good. I can't remember her name, but the woman who was running around on crutches the whole time, she's so much better actor than anybody else in this in this movie. When she seems pissed off about what's going on, you actually believe it. When she starts calling them out for doing stupid shit, you believe it because yes. she yes. has a really good tone to her voice. Though her death is bizarre to me, one of the many bizarre deaths. <laughs> you hear her get shot off camera with a nail gun. And then final girl stumbles across her in her lame one-on-one chase with the guy who's not the killer who's chasing her who thinks she's the killer somehow that makes no sense but anyway (laughs) and she's tied standing up to this 
board or whatever with all these nails in her head and nails through her hands to hold her in place and whatever. And I'm like, but we heard her get shot and go down. So what, he arranged her like this? But then she's got like a gag and it, oh, what? But you've shot her already. What? So it just, it just doesn't make no attempt to for any continuity. What I or, need or is I need the listeners who are listening to this podcast who are collectors of Arrow film and Vinegar Syndrome to please come to my defense because I am a man <laughs> alone on this podcast. There's a whole large community of horror fans out there who are collectors of this stuff. Sure. And are scholars of this stuff, bloggers of this stuff, critics of this stuff that are going to be in my camp. And I'm just saying, we need to hear from you. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review on Spotify. Hit us up on all the social media and let us know what you think about these movies. The last thing I want to say about this movie, which is not good and is very forgettable, is that Stephen Dash is in this film. And the only thing, other thing I know him from was he's the male test subject at the beginning of Ghostbusters. And I th- so that's the, is he the guy the that has his career, the f- I think. Well, there's one guy who's the, oh, no, he's got the glasses. Is that the one? No, he's the one that has the curly hair. Oh, okay. No, mi- remember uh, Peter Venkman is doing the electric shocks on the uh, the guy and the girl. And, and he's, he's forgiving uh, the girl. Yeah, yeah. He's forgiving like the girl. Amazing. And then even when the guy gets it right, he's still shocking him. He's one of the main yep. male leads of this film. I, uh, these are like his two main IMDb. Like you might know him from Ghostbusters and Island of Blood. <laughs> Island of Blood <laughs> is a, honestly, That's Island so- of Blood is one of three of the movies on this week's list. It was almost completely forgotten. Uh, and not just forgotten. I mean, there was like one reel of this somewhere that somebody found. It has not made tr- uh, many transfers to physical media, which is why the rip that we have is so poor for it. Mm-hmm. And it was part of really a low budget regional filmmaking. This is California regional filmmaking that, you know, it's gone. And so there's just so many movies that we just don't have anymore. They're just, they were made, they're gone. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those. I just want to say, because Jason, I feel like you're like, I need people to come into my defense. I agree with you. I think this is a film that needs to be preserved. I also am of the mindset that all films need to be preserved. I don't think just because I didn't, you know, gel with it, it didn't resonate with me, doesn't mean that I think other people shouldn't watch this or that it should be forgotten, you know, in the sands of time. Like, no, I think... I'm saying like there are good things here and I agree with you. So I definitely understand your frustration about film preservation and films getting forgotten because there are so many films. Like if you look back to silent, the era of silent films, so many films are just, we will never see ever. And that's heartbreaking, you know? And then the studio fires that happened. Oh my God. Exactly. Exactly. So no, I completely agree with you that this is a film that should be preserved. I think all films should be. So I definitely agree with you. So just because I'm sharing for me personally, I can't speak for Paul, but just because I'm sharing like, you know, this is, you know, absurd or it didn't come together. I think there's a good idea here. At least I will give this film credit for that. There's some, there are some interesting deaths and to adapt an Agatha Christie novel and make it into a horror. I think that's genius. I just wish it very much. So I think it had worked. I wish it had been executed better. (laughs) Oh, hundred percent. Welcome back to the Island, Megan. Oh, okay. Phew. Phew. I'm not this, stranded. This film is trash. If you like it, good on you. It I, is I, trash. I, no. I will it, never, it, it, I will never shit on someone for liking fine, something. Let me put a finer, no, let me put a finer point on this for you, Paul. It is trash, but there's some right. of us who like trash cinema. Good. good. Or at That's least l- like it enough to be willing to watch it and give it a fair shake. 
If you go into trash, not will being willing to give it a fair shake, you're never going to come out liking it. I will say this. When you listen to binge movies, if you're a listener to binge movies, and we get to scores and Hellraiser, and Jason rakes me over the coals for liking oh. some of the Hellraiser films oh. that he hates, remember this moment, because I'm starting to smell <laughs> some double standards around the place. But with that, let's move on to the next film, because we'll be here all a day long. The next film is, of course, the aforementioned Fulci film, The New York Ripper. Hi, down top. <laughs> you don't think I'm this one, as mentioned, was released on the 4th of March, 1982. It's directed by the legendary Lucio Fulci and written by a whole bunch of Italian people as they wrestled back some of what was stolen from them. Stars Jack Headley and then a whole bunch of other people you've never heard of. It's 93 minutes long. It is, at least as far as I was able to ascertain, fairly infamous in some circles for what it conveys in this very exploitative film. Why don't we go to Jason first? What did you think of the New York Ripper? Uh, Well, first of all, this is one of the ones that was prosecuted on the video nasties and was not available mm-hmm. in the UK until 2002. Wow. This is deemed even by Lucio Fulci's team members who worked with him on his movies um, of all of his murder movies. Cause the one thing we have to say is like, if you, it's hard for me to be like, I'm a Lucio Fulci fan because Lucio Fulci made 500 movies. <laughs> <laughs> all these Italian directors directed 40 movies per genre. Because that's what they did. They directed westerns, and they directed police movies, and they did crime movies, and then they did, you know, giallo films, and then they did comedies, and they did everything. So when you say you're a Lucio Fulci fan, what you usually mean is you're a Gates of Hell fan. Uh, you like the Beyond? You know, did he do the Beyond as well? The Beyond is one yeah. of the is the second, I think, in the Gates of and Hell. Zombie, mm-hmm. zombie. Or you like the Zombie, which is a unofficial, quasi-official, because of how Romero did the sequel rights for Dawn of the Dead. He got some of his money for Dawn of the Dead from Italy, but that gave some Italian filmmakers distribution rights over sequels. So you have unofficial. Se- so there's a whole, there's literally a whole chart. Just understand the history and well, that's, yeah, uh, series. And, yeah, of that series. So it gets all very confusing. So I don't know if I'm a Fulci fan. I'm a fan of some of Fulci's movies, but even the people who worked with him and who are big fans of his say that this is his most. Uh, this is his sleaziest and most misogynistic film. Oh, for sure. And Fulci himself has said, this is my most misogynistic film. And that was the intent. The intent was he he basically saw the misogyny in American slashers and said, oh, if that's what's selling over there, I'll make mine. <laughs> Since you stole my shit, I'll get it back. And that's it's what Italians did, right? You have your crime novels, your Agatha Christie's, your Dashiell Hammond's that we read these stories. Uh, so then we're going to put them into film. And how do you, how do you, Make them interesting. You up the blood. You up the sex. You up the nudity. What comes to America, and what do we do? We kind of up the blood, but we definitely upped the nudity. And he goes, okay, well, if it's coming back to me, I got to up the blood and up the nudity. (laughs) And now we're at the point of he almost, there was discrepancy on the set. There were fights on the set of, like, this is too mean. Or is this, are you going to the point of almost self-parody with this movie? Because it's so over the top. And obviously there's like a deal with the killer. That seems like almost parody. And it's like, what are we doing here? And so there was discrepancy amongst the production of what the intent of this movie really was. 
that's kind of the background. This is not the first time I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie multiple times. To right. me, this it, this is Italian cinema <laughs> through and through. From disco themes, the movie opens, <laughs> horrific violence, disco themes. There's disco playing over a freeze frame of a dog holding a decayed sever hand. Oh, that's, that's Italian brilliant. cinema. This movie has sex on its mind. It has oh, a God, nonsensical psycho killer with a twist. But what we get is we get the hand, the black glove, the stiletto knife, the throat slashing, which is where the term slashers actually comes from, the flesh slashing. We've we've get blood and buckets of it. We get probably one of the most unnerving kills. Oh, yes. 100%. This Easily. movie that, oh my God. And I at this point, when I was watching the movie, I was like, is this Fulci doing De Palma? Or is or or is De Palma is ripping off Fulci? Fulci doing right. Fulci, right? De Palma definitely stole from Fulci, and and both of them stole from Hitchcock. And Fulci just admitted it. He said his mm -hmm. this era of his career was what he called uh, Hitchcock revisited. So what if seventies movie sensibilities, new Hollywood sensibilities, new Italy sensibilities mixed with Hitchcock, and that's where a lot of the these their movies from this era came from. The telephone killing of Kitty, that scene, I think, is so effectively well done to the point that I'm like, I can't draw a straight line, but I can draw a squiggly line <laughs> from that one scene in the entire movie of Seven. Like, that is a Fincher scene, if I've ever seen one. Even the way that the cop there is dressed in the freaking trench coat looks just like Morgan Freeman and the killers on the lot. We got to do this and the twist and oh, oh I'm here with her now and da 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 da, mm -hmm. and we got to get mm -hmm. to her. And it's too late. It's like oh, you can you can a hundred percent see from Fulci's work, especially in this movie, what Hollywood we would be doing with its thrillers in the next decade. It's just saying, in, at some level, he's ahead of his time. I think he's actually. I think Fulci is a good director when he was given time and budget. I think he's a good director. I think he makes his cinematographers. This is the best looking movie on our the list. Oh, for sure. Week, oh, is, far and away. Which is easy. It's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it's this looks but really honestly, good. <laughs> you could stack the visuals of this movie up against pretty much any year we've done thus far. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just there's so, Italian cinema is its own bag, baby. And there's something about it that you, you like the meanness, the hatefulness, the vileness of it all. There's disreputable stuff in here. I'm not advocating any of that. I'm just saying from <laughs> a filmmaker perspective. Disclaimer. Yeah, I don't want to like, oh, yeah, I endorse all of this. I don't. But that doesn't take away in the same in the same way that I could see the charms of a or the potential charms of a absolutely terrible film like Blood Island. I can also see the actual goodness to sometimes greatness that exists it's very mean-spirited movie. So you actually raised a good point, and one which I'm really dropping the ball with my hosting duties. We are at the end of our discussion of these films going to award five different categories across the realm yeah. of films, which includes best flick, so the best film out of five sharp objects, the best poster slash box art, the best kill from all the films, which one is the most or the best cult classic, and who wins the best final girl, as we've discussed, may not be a woman. So you're sort of alluding to something here, and I don't want to give away my hand before the end, but I agree with everything you said there. I'll jump in real quick, Megan, because I'm very interested to hear your reaction to this film. We'll save it till last. 
this film for me worked on a number of different levels. If you go into a horror film to be unnerved or put out or made to feel uncomfortable, this film achieved it in spades for me. So at that level, I found it to be very, very effective. As you said, it's a good-looking film. Does it have a lot of ridiculous plot points and and contrivances? Yes. Is it overly well-written? No. But does it stick in your mind in, a, in an uncomfortable way? Do you need three showers, not one, after watching it? Abso-fucking-lutely. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm trying to say it's effective. Well, my, I want to piggyback off of that for a second, just for to make this one point. We've watched a lot of sicko sleazy movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the slashers, there's almost like a sub-genre within the slashers. It's like they're sicko movies, that the killer is a sicko. Mm-hmm. This, even though it's an urban setting, it's an urbanite, the killer ends up being an urbanite sort of person. This may be the sleaziest, sickest sicko. You know, yep. <laughs> Joe Spinell is kind of up there because he's so fucking greasy, but mm-hmm. this... This guy is a fucking sicko. So, yes. <laughs> and uh, although I have to say, on that point, we are back in the realm of police procedural again. So, yes, we are. hooray! <laughs> oh yeah! All right, look. Enough of my little synopsis. We all want to hear from Megan. How, yeah. What did you make of this movie? This was a tough one because, and I agree with everything you two are, have said. The visuals are so stunning. They're so striking. I mean, of course, it has all of, like you said, Jason, all of the giallo elements, like the extreme close-ups, especially on eyes. We get, you know, slashes of of the color red, and there's that great scene in the kind of the sex show, the live sex show backstage where the light doesn't come on and everything's bathed in green light, and it's so striking. It's stunning. And the cinematography is great. I would argue there's an overuse of zoom shots, but you know, that's kind of a, a, yeah, exactly. Like that's kind of a trademark of the time. Jason, that kill that you're talking about, the razor lasciviously (sighs) stroked against Kitty, the sex worker's body, and then her nipple sliced and her eye sliced, like, it is just repulsive. I don't want to say in the best possible way, but visually speaking in the best possible way. yes. So I really, it really resonated with me on that front. Like, it is so memorable. It's so striking. The visuals are just incredible. Watching it, though, is it is a repulsive and repugnant yeah. film. Yeah. And it, I think there's, there's often conversation about films, especially films that are exploitative or in the exploitation genre, you know, are, and, and, and even outside of that, is this film you know, endorsing what it's depicting? Is it endorsing misogyny? Is it endorsing rape? Is it endorsing violence against women and, and objectification and all of these things? And, or is it just depicting it and saying like, hey, these things happen and these are awful things and, you know, these are things we should be talking about and showing women's fear of these things is something we should do as storytellers and filmmakers. And I have to say this film is just my big problem with it is that it equate and so many films do not just in the slasher genre, not just in the eighties, but so many films do this. They equate murder and violence against women and rape with there's a sexual element. There's, there's sexual titillation there. And that's where my problem with this film comes in is it's not just the gore. You know, it's not just gore. It's because give me the gore. You know, I love the kill scenes and I love what's happening gore wise. But it's the it's the juxtaposition of sexualizing 
rape and sexualizing murder. And that's, it's just, it's so awful, obviously, but like, it just, that's the disconnect for me. So I wouldn't, I didn't quote, I didn't enjoy watching this because it's so awful, but God, does it look good. And God, are the kills so, so genius. So this one is one I really, really struggled with just because it it feels particularly nasty. It feels particularly spirited. It, yep. it just has that core running through it where it feels, and I'm not saying this at all, but it feels like it's made by someone who despises women and revels in their misery. Yep. And yep. it's just, ugh. The fact that they were having those discussions, Megan, on the set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, That's very telling. <laughs> Fulci, what the fuck happened to you? Like his collaborators are like, what the fuck? Like, like <laughs> that, that's very telling. And the yes, fact that even yes. he is like, yeah, like I, I took these elements I saw and I was trying to push them as far as I could is like, right. well, maybe he doesn't actually hate women, but he definitely has interpreted our movies as hating women. Yeah. And he's amped that up. He's like, well, I just got to take this to the next degree. And that I, so I think your spot, it's, this movie is so hard to talk about because right. it is, it draws you in and repulses you both in its imagery and in its um, like subtext. Yes. I think also what made it really hard too is that even, and again, I feel conflicted about this because you could say, well, maybe this is a commentary on American film or maybe this is a commentary on women's treatment in general. But even the detective who's supposed to be a quote unquote yep. good guy, when yep. he's with Kitty at her place and he's like, go get me coffee. And she's like, I'm not your wife. And she says it very politely. And he's like, don't no. be a dumb fucking bitch. And like, so yeah. even he is like <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's yeah. the hero it, of the film. It right, is right. called, it is called though, the, the New York Ripper. Which may, mm-hmm. which is like one that's to sell to America to America, but also it's like this. I think that is like a tipping of the hand that this is at this point in time, this is his interpretation of what New York <laughs> was <laughs> yes. and the yes. treatment of human beings and women and what cops yep. were like, and and he's primarily getting that obviously from the depictions from the media that we were in, exporting out into the world. And totally. so you get that nasty, grizzled cop who sleeps with prostitutes and is kind of on the other side of the law and, uh, you know, treats people horribly, but he's still somehow the hero. And it's like, well, is he too? I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Dirty Harry, but is he too far afield from all the cops in 80s movies from America that were cut from the Dirty Harry cloth of, you know what I mean? So right? it's like, mm. it's it's like a funhouse mirror version of America and of, Ameri- of an American crime movie. And that makes it really interesting in its own way. Of all the films that uh, you've talked about, Jason, which have been put on the video nasties list and banned, I can see why this one was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this one I, I get. You know, most of the time I sit there scratching my head going, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. And some of the ones that we've talked about, not just in this series, but also over on Binge Movies, I, I'm aghast. But this one makes perfect sense why it took 20 years to show up in, in the UK for all With the statistic. reasons we've just described. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because you can see someone watch this film, someone who's who does is unhinged or unbalanced, who and it pushes them over the edge. Unlike most of the if films, if Michael that they... Ironside's character went to a Manhattan <laughs> cinema right in a rundown theater and watched the New York Ripper, look out, world. <laughs> yeah, this character would one hundred percent have watched this film and loved it. <laughs> 
and, and yeah, and loved it. And yeah, it would have been like, yeah. yeah, that guy did nothing wrong. No, no, he would empathize <laughs> with the killer. We're not addressing something obvious that I thought one of the two of you would bring up about the New York Ripper. Go on. The murderer's voice is Donald Duck. Oh, the, oh of course. You talked around it. Nice. <laughs> Stop uh, we had talking. To... Oh, my God. It's Donald Duck. I was trying Duck. to forget it. It is. I was trying to forget it. <laughs> and it's people, so bizarre. it's like, okay, is that a... No, it is yeah. a bizarre choice. But if, if, if this is the Funhouse mirror version of America... Yes. You got to incorporate Disney. Right. Yeah. The, the most sadistic killer socks like a Disney character. Yep. It's kind of genius in a fucked up way. <laughs> it's a fucked up it, on the face of it. It's pure absurdity, right? Yes, but 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 also in the movie, it goes from being like absurd and even kind of absurd to the characters. Like <laughs> he had a real funny voice. He talked like a duck, you know, and all that post sync dubbing, you know, like Italians trying to do. They're not all Italians, but people are trying to do New York accents who don't have them and dubbing. It's, so it's weird. just oh, it's very strange. <laughs> But even the characters are like, this guy talks like a duck. Like they don't even really want to take him serious. <laughs> then we get to the point where he's talking like a duck on a like Donald Duck on the phone, quacking as he's slicing a nipple and an eyeball. And you're like, Jesus Ugh. Christ. <laughs> Somehow it ends up being absurd and being kind of scary. But yeah, Megan, like, what do you think about that? It's like, is that in, on purpose to be like, oh, here's your Coca-Cola Disney America flipped around on mm-hmm. your ass? I think you're, this is kind of a genius revelation that you're sharing, Jason. And I really agree with you that I think it is Fulci's commentary on American cinema. Like it's almost like his thesis. It's, it, it is in that way, you know, thought wise, very smart. It's brilliant. And uh, how could you not have Disney? Like Disney is such, <laughs> such an yeah. impact on cinema and on pop culture that I think it is really, really genius. I think the other thing too, when you combine it with the the reason, the motive of the killer that he's doing it for his daughter who is dying in the hospital and she's got the duck and she always loves it when he talks like a duck and that kind of juxtaposition of taking something that's for children and then making something murderous out of it, like that's his killing voice and that's the voice he uses to taunt the detective. There's there's something sinister in that when you take something that's has the innocence Yep. And the joy of childhood and you twist it and make it sinister and macabre, it, it becomes even more unnerving. So I think there's that element too. Yeah, I think so. You know, when you're talking about any kind of Italian cinema, at least the some of these guys, the Argentos, the Fulci's, the Bavas, there's a few more, uh, the Martinos and you know, all these sort of, sort of folks, they, they're if you ever like watch interviews of them, they're very fascinated by the idea of because of the heavy Catholicism in Italy, especially in their era. Mm-hmm. And also the heavy, you know, many of them lived through Mussolini or around that time or were children when that was happening. So censorship. So they have this thing inside of them where they're like, nothing should ever be censored because they grew up during censorship yeah. due to uh, yep. fascism. And so it's like, we're going to make this art that's going to be as confrontational and offensive and nasty as possible as a reaction to that. But there's also like, because of Catholicism, the juxtaposition between pleasure and shame, the yes. juxtaposition between love and violence because of all the cruciform imagery that they have and all of the martyrs and the saints. And there's all of these monuments that have depict these in elegant ways 
depict horrific, you know, people being disemboweled for the faith and torn apart by lions and, you know, and people experiencing religious ecstasy and, and how religious ecstasy is next door to orgasm. And so they, they, this, all of this sort of, it's not just like crass for the sake of being crass. There's like this cultural thought behind it where mm -hmm. it's like the profane and the sacred are most interesting when they sit side by side. So sex and intimacy and violence in their mind, in some of these minds, are more interesting when they're put side by side. They just happen to align a lot of that stuff in a way that's just different enough from us as Americans, from the way that we typically align it. Like if you look at the use of sex and violence in American movies of this era, like the Dirty Harry movies, some of the Schwarzenegger films, like that's kind of where we went with it. To where it, and we, always, we always tinge our sex and violence with humor. That makes us feel more comfortable. If it's kind of funny, if it's kind of interesting, if we can go laugh at the people dying on the screen, and they're like, Italy is like, we don't want you to fucking laugh. There's no, mm. there's no need to laugh here. It's just sick. I mean, we're just going to give you <laughs> sex and violence put together as sick. It's, it's the profane and the sacred. It's what should be, you know, it's just put together. It should be offensive to you. It should be blasphemous to you. That's what you should feel. And because they see, you know, their, their st the state of grace versus sin and all, all, the, all this sort of stuff. So you, so you kind of have to understand that that's kind of the cultural lens that they come through. So when they see our media and then refilter it through their cultural lens, it gets spit back out at us in a very interesting way. And I think if nothing else about this movie, all of those elements are here for New York Ripper, where it's guilt and sex and sin and it's all just violence and murder and revenge and he's killing these this guy is killing these women like you said with this voice of innocence but he's mocking the police but there's hypocrisy obviously in the police because of what he's doing with kitty and and oh gosh and he's calling him out on that oh gosh <laughs> and, then, and then at the end it's like it doesn't make any sense but it's like he's killing <laughs> these women because they're living the life his daughter will never have so he's right. become a misogynist who hates women out of the love of mm -hmm. his daughter uh and it's like oh god it's just weird twisted shit <laughs> right. why is he thinking about how his daughter will never ha lead an active sex life like what the, what is that, that yeah <laughs> that's strange yes yeah. and then the film yeah. ends on the on the most dour note he gets his head blown off another pretty great effect with yeah. yep. a snap zoom into the police officer so we think he's going to kill his, his girlfriend but no gets shot through the head and then it's his daughter plentifully calling begging for her father to come oh. back and to spend time oh, with yeah. her. That's Italy so for sad. you, man. <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that, who was murdering women's dead. End. But, hey, how about this? How about this? Yeah. Go chew on that it, when, you, when you're when you. It works, home though, because it's like you forget about her. Mm -hmm. And so when it snaps back and it's like, okay, the world lost its villain, right? But she the lost sadistic her person. But she lost her hero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She didn't know that he was this person. He was the guy that read stories to her and held her hand and who sat by her and did funny voices. And that was her father who she, so she loved, lost the person she loved more than anybody in the world. And she's going to spend the last remaining days of her life, which are very short, calling out to her father who's never going to come. Like that's, that'll send you home fucked up. <laughs> that is a sucker, emotional sucker punch. It is. Yes. Yes. Great All right, then. Let's, uh, from, from one film we've really spoken about in depth to a film we will gloss over very quickly, I have no doubt. I got three hours on this one. Let's go. <laughs> I do not know why this one made the blood pool, but here we are. It's an action crime <sighs> sci-fi film. 
from April 2nd, 1982. We're talking Chuck <laughs> Norris is Silent Rage. Chuck Norris, the master fighter of our time. <laughs> He could imagine the power of the indestructible man he is about to face. A creation of science whose only thought is to survive. Directed by Michael Miller, written by Joseph Fraley, and stars, along with Chuck Norris, Ron Silver, and then other people. But uh, yeah, look. Explain yourself, Jason. What are we doing talking about this film? I, I'm a partial <laughs> curator of this list. I will cop to that. The reason why, twofold, this is the Columbia Pictures. This is, I think, the second Columbia Pictures film that we've covered on this show. It shows that the slasher influence is already beginning to make its way into non-slasher movies. This movie is categorized mm-hmm. as action sci-fi and a slasher. There are definite <laughs> slasher elements when the guy's up loose in his spacesuit walking around. Oh, it absolutely. becomes a slasher, right? Yep. And I just want to say, <laughs> the movie is walk, Walking Tall meets Michael Crichton in the worst ways possible. The oh. original Walking Tall. <laughs> I, only, I only have two more points. <laughs> when <laughs> people say on fucking film Twitter, I miss mid-tier studio films. I miss mid-tier studio programmers. They clearly are not thinking about what <laughs> mid-tier studio programmers ever fucking were. There is an amnesia within the film Twitter community because these people only watch the movies that make the list, the top lists of the top stuff, the stuff that is memorable. Oh, they made this movie for $12 million. It's an all-time classic. They made 50 other movies for $12 million, and they're silent rage. (laughs) You get one out of 50 that's any fucking good. So when you say you miss mid-tier studio films, what you're really saying is you miss silent rage (laughs) because there's way more silent rage in the world than there is the hitcher or fill in the blank. Okay. This is the quiet. I don't mean this is a pun. Is this the quietest movie? There are long, flat shots of Chuck Norris fighting a mental patient who's been oh, souped God. up with super soldier serum to become the ultimate slasher villain who escapes but also goes back to the, the lab at will. <laughs> and it's just Chuck Norris very quietly, no score. Barely any sound yes, effects. Yep. Just as quiet as fucking possible, having a tussle with this guy. A tussle. F- six <laughs> times they fight, it feels like, and there's no sound. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. I agree. And Chuck Norris. So boring. The range <laughs> on this man. He goes all the way from A. Almost to be in this film. Like he just, the, everything that happens in this film, he has the same bland, no reaction. The girl he met, he dumped years ago when he runs across her. Hi, how you going? Yeah, you want to go out sometime. When the guy's coming at him and he's having to fight, when he's fighting a whole group of bikers, he does barely breaks a sweat. He's just, barely. Oh, God. <laughs> and I've, here's the thing I've seen. so I've, bad in this movie. I've, he reviewed, is. I've reviewed other oh Chuck Norris God. films. He's by no means a good actor. 
No, but here no. he is reprehensible. But what he's doing here isn't even acting. He's not. He's not even emoting. He's just on the no. screen. It's he's a nerd. This whole movie is a nerd. This is yes. the worst movie we watched this week. I, I this is horrible. It is horrible. I didn't have it as the worst, but it's very close. <laughs> no, this is horrible because it's so boring. Yeah, it is. It's a hundred minutes long, it's, and it's wow. Oh, it just goes on and on, and it drags on and on and on. And once Ron Silver dies, that so so goes. Oh, one of the other scientists is okay, uh, but anyway, poor Ron Silver Ron dies. Silver, man. I know Ron, Ron Silver was done dirty. Trying. He was. He Ron is. Silver's always great. He's always bringing his A game. <laughs> he really was. Yeah, he's fine yeah. in this movie. Ron Silver's fine. And that's he what I'm saying. He elevates. He, he should have. Yes, that would have been. That would have been yeah. much more interesting. Yeah. The one scientist trying like, to defeat him. Yeah. Yeah. The one scientist is like, we can't be doing this. And then his, they're like, we're doing it anyways for whatever. <laughs> Think about all the money we'll make curing disease. And he's like, it's not ethical. We're not doing it. Like, that's your hero. Do I need Why? to remind you, Jason? I'm your boss. And then he <laughs> dies like a <laughs> Halloween a character. Yeah. He dies like a Halloween character where he's just hung up on by the killer and a fucking yep. hook in the wall. And then it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So for Chuck Norris to not care that his girlfriend, his girlfriend's brother, his girlfriend's brother's wife, they're all dead. Doesn't give a shit. I don't even know if the girlfriend dies, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like he just doesn't care. Oh, I hate it. Terrible. I hate it. Megan, <laughs> did you like it more than us or Jason? No, no, I did not like it more. It's awful. I, you know, and it's funny because my initial reaction was, "Why are we watching this?" And I immediately got what you were doing with your curation, Jason. I was like, "Oh, this is exactly because we're getting it's bleeding, <laughs> pun intended, yep. bleeding into so many other films that are not traditional horror films or traditional slashers." And yeah, and I will say that scene where Allison is kind of like going through the house. And that's a legitimately creepy scene. I wish there was more of that. I also yeah, think it's yeah. interesting because this is a precursor to Terminator, which is very much a slasher film and very much 100%. has the slasher elements. So mm-hmm. having an indestructible foe who just won't stop and keeps coming for you good point. is yeah. interesting conceptually. But yeah, no, this is this is not good. But the Terminator didn't lo- the T eight hundred didn't lumber its way back to its lab where it was created to take a nap no. for forty five minutes. No, no <laughs> that's very sleep. it's very Frankenstein esque. It's yes. so weird. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're you're on, you're you're right on the money though, Megan. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to do a modern yes. Frankenstein, but it's also a slasher. What if the Frankenstein's monster is like a slasher villain? Right. And the only person who could stop him is a sheriff who knows kung fu. It's a martial arts expert. <laughs> yeah, but the martial arts stuff is even Lame. okay. Here's what oh. I'll say: even when Chuck Norris is throwing incredible jumping roundhouse kicks, it is shot in the most oh, boring yep. fucking way oh, I've terrible. ever seen a kick shot. It is insane. This man's in fu- the tightest jeans any human <laughs> being has ever worn. <laughs> And he is jumping three feet in the fucking air to dead <laughs> silence. It's by the way, it's not like cut together. Camera's way out, mid shot. Chuck Norris in fucking jeans and cowboy boots shoots up three feet in the air, spins the fuck around, hook kicks this guy in the head all in one shot. Flat and boring. How is that possible? This man is doing yeah. feats that nobody else can do this shit but martial artists. And it is shot so boring. You just watched it. No score. No like. 
not even like the the old Hollywood like you know the the Indiana right. Jones punch Indiana kick. Jones noise nothing. Yeah. There's no foley right. noise. There's no foley. Like they run out of money. It nothing. feels like they run out of money. The post production wasn't. Did they spend all the because money on Chuck salary? Put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What the fuck? Like, it's just so, I just couldn't believe so it. Weird. They have the audacity to call it silent rage. Like is that an artistic <laughs> choice? That well, it's, it's it's silent rage. So we're not we're gonna get away from all of that like punching and kicking sound effect. No, it's I think it was cheap. about the. Uh, well, you could say it's about obviously the killer who's mute, or you could say it's about Chuck Norris who barely says a word in this whole film. Or my sneaking suspicion is it's what the audience will feel when watching this film and they'll never hear it back. <laughs> I think you're right. This is Paul. the worst of this is the worst of all of these. It's garbage, so. a complete garbage. Let's uh, let's move on there, unless anyone wants to speak any more about it. No, no. To oh boy, <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to do low budget. Rural films for this particular episode. <laughs> we move into Death Screams from 19, what, when was it out? May 1982, directed by yep. David Nelson, written by Paul C. Elliott in small town, North Carolina. A group of friends are stalked by a mysterious machete wielding maniac. But someone's killing politics. You will feel their terror. You will see their horror. Death screams. Uh, yeah, this feels just like Island of Blood Part 2 for me. It's but even worse, <laughs> if that's possible. I'll go first this time. I will say one thing that this film does better. It has a better final girl. As yes. Someone who, who, you, who can act a little bit. And we set up a whole bunch of characters. At 45 minutes into this film... One person has died. I'm like, oh, can we just get the fuck on with it? It's not like we're setting it up to be interesting. It's not like I give a shit about the byplay that's going on here. This is a horrendously low-budget film, which looks exactly like that, with kills that are almost always off-screen, and you see the results afterwards. It culminates in some of the most ridiculous practical effects that I see put on screen. That look like they could come straight out of a Year 12 student production uh, or, a, or a senior student production, and then people would be happy with it. But this presumably got released to try and make money. Well, it got released to drive-ins regionally to try to make money. It yeah. is so. exactly what you're saying it is. It basically is a student project film. But the student behind it, Megan, do you know who directed this? No, I'm terrible. I should have. Okay. Say, <laughs> I Paul, who directed it? Give the name. David, David Nilsson. Does the name Nelson? Oh, yes. Yes. You? No, I did know that. I forgot. For some reason, I was thinking yep. you did the Midnight One. But yes. I no, knew you would know. I knew you would know. Of course, it's Ozzy and Harriet. It's Ricky Nelson and David Nelson. Yes. I would. I now, I know, Paul, is. you don't know who the fuck we're talking about. because Oh, sorry, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So, Megan's Ozzy and Harriet and was I, a show. Yeah. yeah, it was a show in the 50s. It was black and white. It was about a wholesome family. And oh. yeah, and Ricky and David Nelson were brothers. Ricky Nelson was huge at the time um, for being... Uh, heart th- a teen heartthrob and a musician and yep. yeah and da- yeah so David Nelson is his brother yeah so Ozzy and Harriet were basically two I think already kind of famous people but they yes. got married for real and they had a fictional depiction of their family life as the quintessential American nuclear family mm-hmm. right they were the original TV family sitcom family okay. So much so that for the longest time, the shorthand for the perfect family was that people would say, well, we're, well they're not Ozzy and Harriet, or we're not Ozzy and Harriet, which mm-hmm. means we don't have a perfect family. 
So the kids were seen as the perfect kids. She was the perfect wife. He was the perfect husband. They had the perfect marriage. They lived in the perfect house. The white picket fence dream of America that comes from Ozzy and Harriet. Like that, this is a huge piece of American 20th century culture. Huge, Mm -hmm. huge ramifications untold through American society and the American imagination. The idea that the youngest son of of Ozzy and Harriet, like 20 years later, would be eh, maybe, yeah, probably 20, 25, would grow up and make a exploitation film in North Carolina is what makes this movie fascinating. And that one of its, its second biggest claim to fame was its second lead actress was a very famous adult film star by the name of Susan Keeger. Uh, who was also a Playboy Playmate, but she made triple X films. And so the idea that the son, Ozzie and Harriet's son made an exploitation slasher movie with a porn star is what makes this movie famous. Is she the final girl? The Susan Keeger? No. No, no I don't okay. think so. Also, I think this is the first scene. I think this is the first male shower scene in any yeah. of the slashers. That was the most yeah, okay. interesting thing when when we we get the POV and we think it's the killer coming on and it's just a naked dude in a shower and he's like oh you scared me oh, yeah. <laughs> oh maybe you dropped my croissant that was interesting I was like oh okay we finally get that Hitchcock thing but the genders have been inverted so mm-hmm. Lily was Susan Keeger sorry just looking at oh, okay here. well there you go so that's her yeah I think the last fifteen minutes of this movie are actually have for the budget of this thing. Some interesting kills, like the, the falling through the floor and being like hacked to pieces as your second half your, is in the floor. I thought What's that, I thought that was, I thought <laughs> anyway, that was yeah, creative. Sure. I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about the falling into the schmuck that falls into the grave and puts his hands out <laughs> and then the hands get lopped off and drop back on his chest? I'm like, oh, God. No, but yeah. I thought when the, the hands were kind of like twitching on top of the grave, I thought that was a, a, a cool little scene. I mean, the I fact agree. of the matter is this movie is made for no money and we've seen another version of this movie, you know, Death Island or whatever. And this is way more creative than that. It takes a while to Oof. get there. But once it finally does, it doesn't spare on the blood. It doesn't spare on the gores. And they've got, I mean, they don't have fucking Tom Savini work on this. They've got some guy from North Carolina. I thought it was charming. I thought the last 15, 20 minutes of it were actually pretty charming. I don't think it's good, but I think it's a curio. It's a curio of a moment of time with some interesting kills. And I think these, they kind of overachieved a little bit. Not the word I would have used on this film. Megan, <laughs> what about you? I think. Yeah, I think this is conceptually far more fascinating than it actually is a fascinating film. (laughs) Um, I will say, Jason, I do agree with you about the hands. I think the hands twitching. I'm I'm clearly here for fingers being chopped off, hands being chopped off. That's that's clearly my my forte from watching these films. Um, Because I was like, ooh, hands chopped off, yes! I'm like, what is wrong with me? Um, Yeah, and the hands like twitching. That's a cute touch. Yeah, I definitely think the last 15 minutes are the best part of the film. I just wish it didn't take so long. Yeah, I agree. You know, and the fact that we're at a fairground, it just made me want to go back and rewatch The Fun House, which is a film I really enjoy Mm. and is much more macabre and and unnerving. So, yeah, but I think it is really knowing the history of Ozzie and Harriet, knowing David Nelson's history, it is really fascinating. So I think on a conceptual level, it's intriguing. 
but on an execution level, uh, yeah, I, it's, I it is, it is was bland up to that last 15 minutes. It 100%. Is, it's very bland. It is. The one kill that I do like before the end is actually happens on the fairgrounds. And it's the girl who's putting the shaving cream on the guy's like doom buddy. Yeah, his ex girlfriend. He's jealous. And then, yeah, the arrow goes through. Out of nowhere, a fucking arrow just goes through her shoulder. Yeah. And I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting because that's, again, mm-hmm. We've seen so much, so much sameness. It's like, okay, yeah. all right, yeah, same, same, same. Like broad daylight. Yep. Arrow through the fucking shoulder. You're like, what the hell? You don't right. anticipate it. She runs and runs and runs. I don't know why she runs to a second fairground. <laughs> why does she run to an abandoned ride? Wouldn't you run right. towards this people? Not only has, this town not only has one carnival. It's got a functional carnival and an abandoned <laughs> carnival. But. Right. Her being that that thing that we've seen before, the bag over the head and suffocated oh. on a carousel ride. And when then when the camera right. pans out and she comes whipping around and she's like so dead disturbing. on the horse. That was a good shot, actually. That's that a good was kill. Good. That's a good one. I agree. I agree. That's probably my favorite kill from that film because it's so unnerving. And you're and you're right, in daylight. And again, yep. it's coming back Unexpected. to Yep. Right, you're supposed to be safe in daylight, you know, you know, because so many terrible things are supposedly going to happen to you in the dark, you know, somebody jumping out. Yep. No, this is complete daylight at a carnival, and not even just a carnival, but on a merry-go-round. Like you cannot yes. get more wholesome childhood-esque <laughs> than yep. a merry-go-round where she's got a bag over her head suffocating. Oh my god. And she's doing like probably the most innocent kind of prank. If you're gonna do something, she's putting like washable shaving cream in a guy's yes. windshield, be like to show him, like "aha, uh-huh, asshole." And it's like it's like okay, like she gets a severe punishment for doing something childlike at a childlike right. place. Right. I think if there had been more of that stretched out throughout the film, it would could be like a like I don't say cute. That's the wrong <laughs> word, but like and you like a cutesy little regional slash New York like, Ripper. Oh, that's kind of charming it's like a little regional north carolina <laughs> right you know a bunch of locals made a movie and it's interesting there's a couple good kills and that, right. that's it that's but it it just takes too long to get there that's way too that's long. way too long and the explanation for what's going on is so laughable it's hilarious well, it's like very two obvious sh- that, two shots very- that oh his mum's a sex <laughs> oh worker God. and he's fucked of up course. oh trauma Okay, that, of course, it's a slasher film, so it's got to be. Um, and then I love it when the sheriff, it's like, he's like, why? And the sheriff's like, I don't know. End film. <laughs> that was so <laughs> Honestly, I love that. That was great. That was kind of amazing. Because <laughs> he gets oh, killed, basically. Wait, he gets killed twice. Because Lily fucking, like, slits his throat. Slits his throat, yep. And yeah. Then the cop shoots so him. it turns around, like Megan was saying. The final girl gets the phallic instrument, yep. penetrates yep. him. And then he comes, he's dead, but then he comes flying through a window. <laughs> and then the cop comes in and, and gets everybody gets their vengeance against the killer, right? Lily gets her vengeance for her assault and her friends. And the, the cop gets it for his son because he found his son's dead body in the garage. Neil, uh, or Neil is the killer, rather. He finds his son's dead body, I think Eddie or whatever. Yep. And he, he blows the guy's brains out, shoots him multiple times. And then she goes, what like yeah? What could happen to make somebody like that? Why did he do this? And he just goes, I don't know. And it's, <laughs> I loved it. I it's loved so it. nihilistic. Yeah, and the, I don't know. the other part, I, the other part <laughs> the made me laugh a lot <laughs> was how in that first half an hour of boringness, every so often we just cut back to the two bodies winding their way down the river from the start, the very start of the film. Yeah, okay. Cut but back. the Why end. 
But the end, when the bodies yes. like logs are just stacking on each other, so and that's, that's the image we end on. That's fucking creepy. That was creepy. That is creepy. Because they never was... recovered the bodies. Those like, how far away did they drive to do this? This traveled for like two <laughs> days down this river. But just like, there, there's the two from the beginning, the people having sex at the beginning got killed. And there's a couple more, a couple of the friends that have been added, and they're just bumping into each other like logs. In um, yeah, one girl swims into them, the one that goes for skinny dip, and then of course she dies because you yeah, can't do that. Not, not in a horror movie. I, so like, there's no, like flashes of there's flashes of interestingness in yes. a big old river of blandness. That's that's <laughs> death. Screen. Anything else from you, Megan? Before we get get away from death screens, yeah. One more, one last thought. I think Please. it's interesting, Jason, that you were talking about how um, the girl on the carousel and the arrow, she gets punished for such an innocent prank. And it reminds me of um, New York Ripper because the woman who's the bicyclist and she's trying to get back at the driver yeah. Oh, yeah. on the Staten Island ferry and she's riding in lipstick. And it's like such a harmless yep. prank. And yet she gets eviscerated. Eviscerated. Really- yeah. We didn't even talk yeah. Rose. Literally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rosie, yeah, Rosie is her name. Yeah, yep. yeah. She's just like, oh, oh, I, yo, he just, yeah, he cut me off or something. So I'm just going to call him a shithead in his. And <laughs> right, right. She's like, no, wait, what are you doing? And then it's just like, yeah, truly eviscerated, yes. just sliced right up, guts come out. Oh, it's oh. horrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She got a brutal death. I wonder. Maybe I'm overthinking it, Megan. But the arrow through, because the reason why the girl in death screams is pranking the guy with the car is because it was like a. It's her ex-boyfriend, and he's dating yeah. somebody else, right, or something like that. Oh, he's getting she gets into arrow the... like she gets arrow to the heart, to the shoulder, like Cupid. Mm. I wonder if, like, because she's like on the horse, the carousel. Like, there's like romantic imagery there. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Like, she's got the yes. arrow in the heart. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's interesting because, like, the the killer's whole thing is like women and men and sex mm-hmm. and love. Like they mm-hmm. all are, but like I just. Like, there's seas, there's, like, flashes of, like, oh, somebody puts a little bit of thought, more thought into this right. one. It just didn't completely pay off. Right. I wish it had almost been a collaboration with someone else, like a better filmmaker. Yeah. You don't know this, Paul, but part of the idea between the drive-in movie, especially with the regional ones, is there were intentional dead spots in the movie yes. that were put in. For people to fuck <laughs> or to make out. I thought you were going to say to get popcorn, but okay. No, no, no. It was <laughs> no, for no, people it was to fornicate. Out Sex City. <laughs> yeah. So That's they true. would make movies with intentional lulls. You know, just, the idea was, and this has been parodied to death, but you, you have a scare, and that the idea was then that gives you an excuse to huddle up to get each other. And then you'd have a lull, and that would get into the heavy petting and the making out and the whatever, whatever. And then, you know, maybe a little bit of titillation, a little TNA, a little bit of... So these movies were made, designed for primarily teen audiences to be able to have a place to go have sex. And the movie would give them kind of a license to be aroused and to be scared and to get close and to... You know, they, they weren't loaded with plot for the purpose of <laughs> and boring okay, dialogue cool. scenes for the purpose of entertainment. It was a screen, a shield, basically, to give an excuse to fuck. Right? Am I wrong, Megan? Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You are totally right. <laughs> so I, uh, we, I probably I probably should have told you that, Paul, <laughs> before I subjected you to like three of them in a row. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't. I got no Harriet nor Oz, what, what, Aussie uh, reference or, or yeah. context, context for this. All I saw was bored. I was so struggled with this one to stay awake. <laughs> I it was painful, you see, and you just yeah. seem so much like a real person. I assume you're American. <laughs> oh, not even touching that one. We're going to move on instead. <laughs> To the fifth film of this week, <laughs> a Canadian psychological slasher film starring Michael Ironside, William Shatner, and Lee Grant in the in the final girl role, Jean Claude Lords Visiting Hours, released May twenty eighth, nineteen eighty two. When was the last time you sat in a movie theater and felt the cold fingers of fear creeping up your back? Twentieth Century Fox presents a movie. So intense, so frightening, you may never recover. Visiting Hours, starring Lee Grant, William Shatner, Linda Pearl. Rated R. This one's 105 minutes long. That's really important when we talk about this film. (laughs) Can I just say? Oh, I think, Megan, I hope you're on the island with me for this one. (laughs) I might be. Um, this is this is another curio, right, guys? Like it's 20th Century Fox. It's a foreign filmmaker, Canadian made, produced, starring like real people. Lee Grant's yeah. a real actress. William Shatner, whether you like yeah. him or not, real actor had cachet yeah. with Star Trek. Yeah, no, absolutely. Linda and Pearl, a video nasty. This one yep. is yep. also a video nasty. How yep. is yep. this yep. a video? This is coming back to my point earlier. This is ridiculous that this one's a video nasty. I absolutely. think it's a video nasty because of Ironside's performance. He's really he, Ironside. He, he saves this film. Incredible performance. Take him out of the film and this is absolute <laughs> trash. Again. Uh, oh, 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 no. I disagree. I disagree. This is I disagree. Good. This is, too. Listen, I'm going to reveal my hand early. This is my favorite. I wow. thought this was yes. Wow. I thought this was great because listen, I love Lee Grant. I love her. She's love awesome. her. Love her. She's amazing. I am so pissed that it took me this long to see a horror film with her as the final girl because I love her. I love that we open the film with her annihilating that dickbag lawyer. She is so good. I love her as a like when she plays a lawyer like in Defending Your Life. Great film. She's amazing. Love her. So Michael Ironsides, he's also amazing. He's so unnerving and so yep. creepy. He is a great, great villain. Uh, believable villain. He's very believable. believable. He's so yep. creepy and so grounded and realistic. Yeah. But I also love I, I love Lee Grant and Linda Pearl's banter, and I love their relationship. And I don't normally talk about this because it's been over-talked about to death. It is not it was never intended to be an actual test, but I can't help but notice that it passed the Bechtel test. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Two women, you know, talking about something yep. that doesn't involve men. And it's really nice to hear. And it's great that Linda Pearl's like, oh, I admire you so much because we get a character with Lee Grant. We get a woman who is unafraid to speak her mind, who is career focused, who is staunchly feminist and is advocating for domestic violence victims. And that is incredible. And the fact that the film leads off with a debate about the, the veracity of a 
domestic violence survivor, you know, talking about her abusive husband. And this is the case Mm -hmm. that's kind Mm -hmm. of woven throughout the film. And Lee Grant is staunchly defending her. And then we get other snippets of this and we get other instances like the blonde woman um, who Michael Ironsides goes on a date with and he is disgusting and, and repulsive and abusive to her. And it's very yeah, clear she that with she, him. interesting, very interesting. But it's also clear that she's dealt with abusive situations before, Bingo. and so that is really that feminist undercurrent of this is what women have to deal with is was so refreshing, and I think was yep. so well done. And I was reading about the reception of this, and the fact that people like trashed. tore this apart yep. and said that they did, they trashed it. They said it was horrible, and I'm like, did I watch another movie? Because I loved this. I thought it was great. I think, Megan, to your point, I think this is one that they contemporaneously got so wrong. Yes. They were like, well, this is just taking important issues and it's just malicious and nasty and it has nothing to do with it. It's just a, a exploitation film. I mean, it was universally panned. This was a pan mm-hmm. movie. 14% like, on Rotten Tomatoes. And, and people are like, the actor, like the actors are slumming it. Why Lee Grant would ever agree to be in this trash this you know, twentieth century Fox got slammed because you're just making trash. Mm-hmm. There, there was a echelon of film critic in this era who, I remember also this is pre, um, uh, who's our our lady at the top? We talked about it at the beginning. Oh, uh, Carol J. J. Clover. This is pre Clover. This is pre scholarship. This is pre. This is, so contemporaneously, this whole genre is being dismissed out of hand. If it's mm-hmm. a slasher movie, it's trash. And they panned it just straight out the gate. All the print film critics hated all of these movies. This one gets it. They got it so wrong with this movie. I agree. This movie is well acted. It's well shot. If anything, it could be tightened mm-hmm. up a little bit. And yes. it could be a little bit more, yes. some more thrill, <laughs> some more thrill put to it. But, Paul, this is no shade to you either because as a non-American, you wouldn't get this. Even though this is a Canadian movie, this movie comes out the same year that the Equal Rights Amendment failed to be passed by three states, 1982. And mm-hmm. the cultural climate at the time, the, in, we, we had sort of reached this zenith point of, for that era of like female rage being on television. Mm-hmm. And the, it was sort of the next wave of the women's liberation movement that was happening. And society's reaction to it was like, eh, didn't we give you enough? Like, and there was all of this male pushback and male fear at feminist rage and feminist anger, which, by the way, still exists. But this mm-hmm. was really Absolutely. in the media at the time. And our news media here was structured completely different. And more shows were like long debate format. And so, like, what this is depicting at the beginning, to Megan, your point with, like, Lee Grant as the journalist or the, the, the head newscaster or whatever and having that back and forth was what our media looked like more back then. It was more... Mm-hmm intellectual conversations and this was the in 1982 the big topic one of the big topics that was going on was sort of the next wave of of women's rights yep and and it was being shot down and and reacted to as if these women were almost being like their anger was being interpreted almost as like being violent against the male establishment Mm -hmm. so this movie it takes this cultural zeitgeist thing that's going on and goes what if the male reaction to women being angry and demanding equal rights is that that is violent? And what if that is we personified in a slasher? It's doing the same stuff that movies like 
Maniac to some extent, Schizoid, some of these other movies that we've watched are kind of trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. Of the, like Megan, you've talked about before of like the white collar woman, the professional, unmarried, no kids, professional woman being tagged by an underclass white male in a service industry job. Yep. And, and he resents her and hates her and let, and they put too fine of a point on it with Shatner, but Shatner's like, cause she's like, why go after me? I'm just the person on TV. And he's like, they go after you because you're the voice, you're the base of the voice mm. that they're mad at. You're the mm. one with the platform and, and they don't care about the woman who this is actually about. Right. You're the target because you're the one they see on TV. And this guy's going to keep coming. And, and his role of sort of being like, Hey, I agree with you, but just tone it down. You know, like, oh. like how he's just wants to tone her down. She's like, I'm not going right. to tone it down. And he's like, right. no, 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 you're right. But just, just, just ease off a bit. Like that is so realistic. That is so Absolutely. realistic. And then like for your own safety, for your own well-being, <laughs> just tone it down. And she's like, no, I'm fucking pissed. I have a right to be pissed. Some guy just tried to kill me because I had, as I stood up for a domestic violence, it's like all of that worked so well. And then on top of that, I think you get one of the best slasher villains that we've seen. He is scary. Yes. The kills are unnerving. This to me is where we would eventually go, which is so interesting. This movie is panned and Silence of the Lambs is going to win an Oscar in seven years, eight years. No, I know anyone. So, so interesting because there's like, I could draw a line from this movie to Silence of the Lambs and Jonathan Demme's work like very easily. Uh, but it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's just, I thought this was a great movie. Now, I do have a question for you, Megan. Is Nurse yeah. Sheila, who I think is a great character. I really like yes. Nurse Sheila, the Sheila character. Me too. Is she coded as gay? Yes. Mm. Yes. Right? Yes. Immediately. Because she's like, the only, re- only good that came from my marriage was I got a daughter, right? Yes. Well, and that, but also coupled with the fact that one of the first times you see her in a domestic sphere the yep. other woman, the the like nanny or whomever, Jumps on the is bed. in a towel and on yeah, her bed, and I was like, "Oh, yes. she's yep. gay or queer." Yes, I was the like, whole time I was like, "Is that the yes. is that the is that a live-in nanny or is that right. her girlfriend?" I yeah. think it's her girlfriend. No, I, I think, think it's her she's girlfriend, totally right? Queer. Yes, I one hundred percent think she's queer, and I love it. And I but I also and the way love that the. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I also love that there's never like a big deal made about it. It's just like, oh, yeah, yep. this is her. This is just their life. Yeah. She's just a working woman. Yes. She's a working woman. Yes. Yeah. The way that she, the the woman who was assaulted by Ironside on the date, and I don't remember her name. I don't know if she has a name. And Lee Grant's character. The way that the three of them sort of triangulate and work together to fit, get this situation. Yes. And the, uh, how they're still not believed. Yep. And the ineptitude of the police to respond, even when the guy's in the fucking boiler room and oh they get there God. too late and he's out the window and in his van mm-hmm. and like, and the way that he's able to just because he's a dude, like slip in and out of all of these places over and over again, over <laughs> yes. and over again. And the scene where he pops a bunch of pills and feigns a suicide oh. to get into the hospital and smashes his arteries so in a fucking creepy. beer bottle. Just to get at her, just to get at this woman. Because at that point, it's like you're you're thinking, okay, buddy, you're a sicko. Just go kill somebody else. But <laughs> no. it's not about the killing. It's about the rage, and it's about the misogyny. Yeah. And he's got to kill this yep. one fucking woman. I'm gonna. He's got to silence woman. her. Yes, yep. he's got to mm-hmm. shut her the fuck up. Yep. Even when it's like you're definitely gonna get it caught. You're definitely gonna get killed. He doesn't care. I nope. gotta silence this person. 
He yeah. is so I, I think this movie focused. is. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie is very good. <laughs> I, I really like I it. I am so I wish delighted. it was tighter. Yeah, yes. I really it could like be it. tighter. And you know, you're talking about Silence of the Lambs. Like, that's a very polished film. It could have been a yep. little bit more polished. But the yep. bones are there. Like, this is like the. Yep. The, the bones are concepts, there. That's a good point. Yeah, thank you. The yep. acting is there. The The characters are there. The writing is there. The concepts that it's grappling with. And, you know, you mentioned the ERA. And the ERA has still never been ratified to the Constitution, which yep. is just absurd, like, so many yep. decades later. And the fact that this, this is a film that depicts gaslighting so exceptionally well like when lee grant is in her hospital room and she's like he was here he was here i'm not hallucinating (laughs) but that's what women have to deal with women are constantly told that they're lying that they're making shit up that they're not believing they're being hysterical they're being hysterical little lady you need to calm down like the fact that this keeps happening and it's happening on an individual level and a systemic level i think it is executed brilliantly and i think the fact arguably not that all women are a monolith because we certainly are not, but I think the fact that even still today, this is a problem, of course, that there were so few women film critics at that time, I think is a yeah. contributing mm-hmm. factor to why this got panned as severely as it did. Now, I'm not saying everybody would have loved it or that it would have been you know, acclaimed, but I think that there would have been some people who would have been like, oh, actually, there's some interesting things going on here. I did. I to that point, I did look at some female film critics to try to find what their perspective mm-hmm. was. I only found a couple, and I should have brought them with me. They didn't like it either. <laughs> they saw it as oh, like well, this is <laughs> a t- t- this is a TV movie of the week plot about women's rights being put down into the gutter of slap. It, it was because it got that oh, slasher label. It was immediately like it's in, <laughs> correct. It's immediately intellectually devoid of anything, which is bullshit. Which is part of the reason why Absolutely. we're doing the show is. That's bullshit. There's there's tons of intellectual stuff going on, in, even in the worst of these movies. Yes, <laughs> yes. Even in the so worst, there's so much yeah. to unpack and so many layers. Agreed. All right, Paul. So, <laughs> I, I think I honestly I do think some of it is that you're missing the cultural soup that look it that could well be. I swim in. Yeah, I a hundred percent concur about Ironside and. I didn't know who Lee Grant was. I'd now clicked to, oh, da- from Damien, The Omen 2. And, and yes. apparently she directed yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of films through the 80s, mostly documentaries and the like. And there's a few other films there on her filmography that I now can kind of place her in. So she wasn't bad at all in the film. It's just that she's confined to being that deliriously kind of recovering from her wounds sort of off the whole way through the, an hour of the film. And she comes into her own in the last 10 minutes when she has to stand up and act and she ends up having to save the nurse from him. That's great. Mm-hmm. That I'm like, yes, this is the film I was hoping to see and wanting to see. Uh, and then obviously the start's really good too in that it's a, it's a really good opening sequence where she's in her house and she's going oh, around and the shower and what, and you know oh. something's going to go south. And right. I mean, that, that's creepy as, as all fuck, to be really honest. So I thought that was really effective. So at the start, it starts really well. It ends really well. But in between, it was just repetitive. The same thing. Okay, yeah. Michael Ironside, what's his name? Colt. Colt is coming at it in a different way. And we're getting to see a little bit of development relationship between Deborah and and the nurse's name, um, Sheila. Sheila, yep. But otherwise, I'm like, every time when Shatner turned up, I'm like, okay, we, we get it. You're a waste of space as well. I was, I, I have to be honest, I was bored through the middle part of this film. I really, really was. So it came alive in I, the last 15 minutes when when he stabbed I, Sheila. I'm like, holy shit, he killed her. I did not see that coming. This is She's got kids. 
Maybe she's got a girlfriend. Or she'll live, what? She's got kids. I can't do that. And then, of course, she survives. I'm like, uh, you wimped out movie as well. <laughs> I, I see. The thing is, I think that the issue with the Lee Grant is, I think so much of it's rooted in her performance, which I think is excellent. I don't see her as like, oh, I'm in a delirium. And da, da, da. I see her as, first of all, she's getting surgeries in between every time we cut back. Like, we got her prepping yeah. you for surgery. She's got permanent nerve damage in her fucking arm because mm-hmm. she was stabbed and assaulted violently. And I liked it because it grounded it in this is like nothing against the Halloween two, but like Laurie Strode has been through an emotional deal, no doubt. She has not physically been through what Lee Grant went yeah. through in the first fifteen minutes, right. and she's right. confined to a bed the entirety of Halloween two. Whereas Lee Grant has been brutally assaulted by this man, brutally near death, almost killed. So I don't, I don't, the idea that she's going to be able to just be like fighting back and getting out of no, the you're hospital. You're right, you're right. I mean, realistically, you're sense. absolutely right. But it just, I, it was just the same scene over and over and over again. And I, I got it I think that's part of the, to Megan, to, to her, Megan's point, I think that is the point, is yep. that no matter how many times this guy gets at her in a space where she's supposed to be safe, yep. nobody does anything. And no, even with yeah. the people who want to help, don't know how to help. Even the, like, and, they thought, and I, I think the Shatner character is almost the stroke of genius of the movie because he's not the cops. It's like, oh well, just a hysterical woman. That's not really his approach. His approach is no. like he believes Lee Grant. He believes her. He even is like a quasi. He says, this is the safest place to be. You are but in the right place. He diminishes like, oh, just you know, like you know, we we'll get there incrementally, but you just can't be so mad about it, right? I'm with you. This is a good story. I'm glad you're helping this woman. But uh, just don't be so, don't go after that guy so much. Don't, you know, don't stir it up. Don't stir the pot. Play the game, you know. And that's how, that's his, and I think that's, it's not, a bad version of this movie is William Shatner would be like a a blatant misogynist who'd be like, keep your women's right, women's lip crap to yourself. (laughs) Right. That's not him. No. He's a liberal. He's a liberal television producer. It's like, yeah, women's rights. Just be quiet about it. Just tone it down. Bring it down yeah. a notch. Don't be too pushy. Yeah, don't, don't the be boat too, too pu- much. Exactly. Rock the boat. Just don't do it too much. Right. I think that's so interesting. So yeah, I I, I think this is this brings together. Megan, I think said it perfectly. The bones are here. What we're missing is the finer polish. Yes. Yeah. The finer polish that we would eventually get with like a Silence of Lambs and some of these other movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, then. Well, one to go <laughs> to wrap up 1982. Yep. Well, the first half. <sighs> well, part one. Yeah. yeah, for part one. For today's episode of the Slasher podcast, Midnight, also released in, on May 28th, 1982. This one is written and directed by John Russo. Yes, he of Night of the Living Dead fame. So once again, He's we come back half. around and return to, to George Dead Romero. Film. Yes, he yeah. famously got the Living Dead part of when they split their partnership. He got the Living Dead part, and Romero got the Day of or whatever part. Yeah, and what a, what a movie that one is. <laughs> uh, okay, this one stars Lawrence Tierney, Melanie Verlin, and John Amplis, and it's ninety-four minutes long. The budget was two hundred thousand dollars. That one is put up there for yep. us on Wikipedia, and basically follows Nancy who runs away from her sexually abusive stepfather uh, and gets herself into more trouble when officer. she's yeah. it was also a police officer when she hitchhikes with two men through the wrong part of the backwoods because this was also titled the backwoods massacre i believe 
Tom is 19, Nancy 17, and Hank 21. They had a good time for a while, but now they're missing. It all started as innocent fun. The van, the drinking, the turn-ons, until they crossed the county line. This is a cash-in on some Night of the Living Dead cred. It's also a cash-in on, obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, totally. Oh, God, this, is by, this may as well have been Such Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the reboot. Because, wow, do, did, they, do, did they riff liberally from that film? Three or four things here. Okay, first of all, Tom Savini does the special effects. Yes. Yeah, kind of surprising, I have to say. This is the least impressed I've ever been by a Tom Savini effort. They reuse the cemetery from Night of the Living Dead because huh, it's a shot okay. in the same area outside Pittsburgh, which is about an hour away from me. So this is right in my backyard. Mm. More regional filmmaking. The opening scene before the title crawl with the woman who they've captured a girl in a bear trap and they're calling her a demon. And like, <laughs> don't, be, don't be surprised by that form. She's really a demon. Do you see the demon children? The demon may appear to you as a dog. It may appear to you as a bird. It may appear to you as a kind little girl, but it's a demon. And the entire time, what you're thinking is, these are like Bible-thumping wackos. Right. <laughs> because they're captured. Nope. And I'm going, oh, shit, this is frailty. Right. This entire opening 90 seconds is the movie Frailty. I guarantee you, that's whoever's behind Paxton. Frailty saw this mm -hmm. movie. Because that's the most interesting part of this film, and somebody went out. Somebody else went out there and made a movie off of that. And if the whole movie would have been about these people going around thinking they're killing demons because they're been driven insane, but, but cut to really the twist. Yeah. Cut to the twist, which is they're Satanists. Yes, <laughs> and this is a midnight mass movie, which is also exploitation because we are getting into the satanic panic. This is a backwoods yep. massacre movie. This is a satanic panic movie. Another cultural phenomena here in the United States, Paul. This I've heard of, yeah. This is a teen delinquent. This is your teen yes. girl could run away and bad things could happen to her sort of movie. It's a troubled youth film. Um, and, of course, the last thing I would say about it is Lawrence Tierney is probably most famous. He's a character actor. He's probably most famous for being in Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. He's the man that puts the, the gang together to do the robbery. You know, don't point your gun at my dad. He's the dad. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. So, yeah. Tarantino would resurrect his career, but it, he had done a bunch of stuff the, this era of all kind of varying degrees of quality. I wish this whole movie was the first four minutes, but it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. When it Ugh. started, I, I thought, oh, boy, this concept. Yeah, this is really fucking interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is some interesting shit of like, we are convinced that because again, Paul, America, we are currently living through a moment where there are many people on the internet who genuinely believe the people on the other side of the political aisle are actual, not metaphorical, not in a propaganda, propaganda sort of way. They believe they are literal demons. There are movements of people who believe that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, they smell of sulfur because they're actually <laughs> demons. I'm not, I'm not being funny. And these people You're making me rethink my holiday. No, no, no. But these people were almost successful at overthrowing our government. And the number of them who believe this have not decreased since that moment of time. They have increased exponentially. And many of those people are now our elected officials. We have elected officials in the highest offices of the land 
who believe that other human beings, and this is not rhetoric, they actually believe it in a biblical sense that they are demons masquerading as people. So therefore, whatever you do to a demon or a lizard or whatever is justifiable because they're not actually people. Right. Wow. So any act of violence, any act of murder, any act of, and not only that, when you're dealing with a secret invasion, if you have to suspend democracy, it's just what you have to do until you root out all of the people who aren't actually human who are in your midst. The, and those ideas are rooted in the soil of this country. And I thought if this movie is going to be as cheap as it is, to be playing around with those ideas and then putting a little weird kind of twist on it where they're, hey, they're actually kind of their own form of, this is like this mom's made up this own weird backwoods version of Satanism. And obviously that's not what Satanism actually is, but this Hollywood version of Satanism. And, and she's, she's like a fundamentalist Satanist <laughs> who is killing these liberal <laughs> yes, Satanists, demons. Uh, that's interesting, but it's not. It just becomes a bad Texas Chainsaw movie. And almost all of the Satanism and all that shit just kind of goes kind of by the wayside until the end. They have to do this midnight mass, but it's just, it's just Texas. It's a bad Texas Chainsaw mass. It is. It is indeed. Megan, any, what are your thoughts then on midnight? And had you heard of this? Had you seen it before? Uh. Was this a blight on your eyes as well? <laughs> a blight. I had not seen it before. I had not heard of it before. Yeah, all I kept thinking was, is, damn, I want to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, <laughs> or, yeah, or any other satanic film. <laughs> I agree with you, Jason, that the the opening scene is so striking and, and yep. really draws you in. I also wish that had been the bulk of the film. But I will say, much to your point, talking about the historical context and politics. I do think it's interesting that this film is trying to tackle racism, white supremacy, yep. Uh, yep. incest, sexual abuse. Um, yeah, it's it's trying to address the All cops are bastards. Yes, yes. Somebody <laughs> this is an actually anti talks about film. Yeah, somebody actually says the term police brutality and I'm like, "Wait, what?" Yep. <laughs> what yep. year are we in? Like it kind of blew my mind. So, the fact that it is trying to grapple with these injustices and these yep. oppressions is really fascinating in the way that the politics is is integrated into the film. I just wish I actually enjoyed the film and that it was a better made more interesting film but but there are ideas there at least in how it wants to talk about social issues and i like that i just wish i liked the film and the story more well they set up the social issues and then they kind of start to tease them out and then they stop yes. and it just becomes about like redneck cops or redneck right. people trying to offer sacrifices to the devil and it's like right. that's not Interest like it, like no. there's a more interesting devil movie here. There's a more interesting yes. backwoods yeah. movie here. Yes, but the result is just bungled. This is a yes, bungled completely. execution on like five interesting concepts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred percent agree. Yeah, it's there's a lot going on, and it's uncomfortable. And there's particularly early on that scene where Lawrence Tierney comes home and and it. Is throwing oh. himself on his daughter that and trying to talk her. Believable yeah, though, trying that to talk her into way, it. Yeah, the way that he was, the shit he was saying to her yeah. of like, yep. I see the way you look at me. I yeah, it oh. wasn't over the top. That's what made it so disturbing. And then, and then he goes to the mother. He gaslights the this. mom. Yeah. He gaslights the mom. He's like, oh. I don't want to bring this up, honey, because she's just a yeah. young girl. 
and they could be confused, but I've she's been making uh, me uncomfortable, and I think she's and just initially the to mum seems it. to buy it. But Correct. then later on, she comes back. She comes back, and that's Thankfully. what sets him on his journey to have to find it. But what I wasn't clear on then is, is he going to find her to, to do away her with her? <laughs> yeah. Right? But if, if right. that's Maybe. the case, why didn't he just leave her where she was? So, no, he, he must have been trying to. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, now, that's, I, I'm like, now I'm supposed to be following the, the pedophilic stepfather? I'm supposed to be on his right? side here? That's what I mean. He's very. Bizarre a- film. He's very clearly and very effectively shown as a bad guy, as a monster. Yep. They start to tease that out, and then they're just like, well, we need somebody to go rescue her. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you couldn't yep. come up with anything else to, than to make this guy the rescuer of the movie? Or if you're going to do that, are you going to do something interesting with it? Not really. No, he just he gets just killed. killed. No. That, that yeah. which conveniently takes care of that, of that particular problem. Correct. So, yeah, there was some promise here. But I didn't know what to expect. I had no, I'd, I'd never even heard of this film. I, I had no idea that John Russo shot an, any other film around other than the Living Dead film, which is obviously very naive of me. Most directors have skeletons, so to speak, hidden in their closets. But this is this is clumsy. This is as you might expect for two hundred thousand dollars. It's it's got too, it's juggling too many balls, and when it gets tired of one of those balls, it just sets it down by killing off those particular characters and just moving on to the next scene. Nancy's right, the only yeah. through line. She's not very good. Uh, in fact, oh. she's she's a pretty terrible no. actor. Oh, poor kid. And yeah, she doesn't even have a, a link you can click on for, on Wikipedia, which shows that she did not much else, if anything else at all. So yeah, uh, another dud from 1982, unfortunately. Are we to read the two men traveling as at least one of them being... Oh, uh, one of them being gay? Yeah. It's oh, funny you say that because I thought that too. <laughs> because the, yeah, especially the... the because uh, there's a white guy and a black guy, and the black guy, the African American guy, very, you're talking about? Yes, yeah. he's very pissed off that they're picking. Like, this is up our trip for us to be together. Yes, yeah. exactly. So either and now he's, he's only most... interested in you, <laughs> right? So either right. he's the most possessive best friend, but no, right. I thought it was very clear that they were gay, or that he's gay and the other guy is maybe bi. Yeah. I don't know, but yes, very much that they were a couple. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I I I love I love the Megan to your point again doesn't go anywhere, but when <laughs> I love the fact that the people who pick her up aren't degenerates that was refreshing. Yes, <laughs> the, yes, the, 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 the 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 white guy, the black nice guy, guys. They just, yeah, they're like we get we should probably help her so that a freaking because she does get accosted by a weirdo. Mm, then a fuck, of one of these weirdos doesn't pick her up, and then they're like, but he's like when he's explaining to her, he's like. Yeah, you'll be okay, little Miss White Girl, or whatever he calls her, something like that. He's yes. like, little Miss White Girl, you'll be fine in this world. But me out here in the out here in the sticks, like, I, and then we run into the black preacher and his daughter, yes. and the that's where he get in the whole speech about well, there's been racism out here, and, exactly. and it's a sundown town essentially. Yeah, we got to get yes, out by is. this time, but we got to visit my wife's grave, and it's like again a horror movie about a sundown town. The boy, that would have been something, and and and. Right? The police officers, the secret Satanist, and that's the reason for their racism. Like that kind of makes like that would be kind of interesting, you know. It's like because it depicts racism as being evil, and it's and it's like systemic evil is what it would yeah. kind of be about in these rural locations. No, it's <laughs> it's, it's just the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell it's on somebody's mind. Yes, but it's not. 
No. Executed. So instead we get the Pennsylvania pitchfork massacre. We get the back we get backwoods <laughs> massacre. Yeah. yeah. Pennsylvania backwoods massacre. Pine Matuni backwoods <laughs> massacre. Yeah. Uh, all right, all it's right. awards time. It's awards time. It's time to award our particular set of awards for every for all these films in this particular week's blood pool. We'll start with how about we start with the best poster slash box art? This Make is it. easy. See, I thought they all were terrible. <laughs> so I didn't think this was easy. I think Death Screams is the most striking. But for me, I'm going to pick another black and white one. I liked Visiting Hours. I liked the skull. But even that, that I don't really like. I had that one in color. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was black and white with like red lettering. But yeah. But anyway, I don't really like that box art or poster either. It's just the one I liked the best. Fair enough. Paul. All right. Paul. Well, I'm actually going Visiting Hours too. Visiting Hours was one of those Yay! covers when I yep. was coming through video stores when I was old, you know, nine, ten, probably two or three years after this came out, three or four years after this came out. And I would see that video, oh, oh that looks really interesting, the skull and the lights of the whatever. And I, by some stage there, I did watch Halloween 2. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be another Halloween 2. And I was always intrigued and I never got around <laughs> to it. So I was so keen to watch this one. And maybe oh, I went no. in with too high expectations. But yes, um, <laughs> it, w- it was always going to be visiting hours for me on terms of Oh, the good. Oh, that makes me feel better. You know, it's also very similar to VHS 94, I think. It's very similar. Yes, cover. it is. Oh, with a skull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, the Jason. skull here is is the death mask that's in his yes. female-hating shrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way <laughs> yes. that is then used as a the lights in the rooms of the hospital at night, lighting up the hospital... Uh, it's visiting hours, but there's also the original VHS for visiting hour is white oh. with a knife slashing through because the white represents the hospital curtain mm-hmm. and it's a knife sli- slashing through. And then you see the corner of Michael Ironside's face, like a drawing of it. And it's very well done. So I, I either one of them should go to visiting hours. Okay. Right. The, right. v- well, either was- the VHS right. or the poster. The category which always confounds me because I struggle with it, but Jason's his favorite cult classic. Jason, take us away. This is not that hard. It's what is the movie that you think is not a classic, but you liked it anyway. That's it. Okay. It's not, there's no consensus that says it's great. You think it's great. Uh, Great's a very strong turn this week. (laughs) Yeah, it is tough this week. Um, I'm going to go Death Screams. Whoa. Okay. Interesting. Interesting choice. Megan? Yeah. I mean, the one I liked the most is also the one that I think is the best. Uh, So I'm, again, giving away my hand here. But I'm going with Visiting Hours because – and I was thinking about it too because I often think of – for cult pick, I often think of like kind of like what's under the radar or like, yeah. you know, what didn't get enough appreciation on top of which one did you just really like, you know, the most, even if it's not the best. But Visiting Hours for me, I'm like, this is a film that just got buried and got destroyed. Mm. And I think it's legitimately great. And I liked it. So I'm going Visiting Hours. Fair enough. I am going to have a completely different film. So we'll, I'm going to go with Ooh. the New York River because the Donald Duck voice just demands... That this is a cult yeah. classic. Yeah. As far as I, I could sort of that, piece it together. So that's a good I right. did miss something. I did miss something. People will come at us unless they say it right now. Lawrence Tierney Please. was not only in Reservoir Dogs, he was in The Prowler as well as Major Chatham. 
Oh, yeah. Barely in it, though. Like, blinking in. Yeah, yeah, yeah but still, still, he's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> we already covered yes, The Prowler. And if we didn't mention, we did. we've already covered it. We will hear. <laughs> I, I know you. the internet. <laughs> Best final girl. This is easy. This is so easy. I'm We're going not going to agree. <laughs> I'm going with Deborah. Deborah from Visiting Hours. Woo-hoo! Yeah, Deborah from Visiting Hours. Jason obviously doesn't agree. What I'm going you got, Jason? Faye from New York Ripper. Really? Okay. Because huh. she she figures it. Not only does she figure it out who the killer is, when she figures it out, she doesn't hesitate to fuck him up. That's true. That's true. That's <laughs> she's like, wait That's, a minute. She puts it yeah. together. The cop's still like, oh, well, could be it. And she's just like, nope. Yeah, okay. It's this guy. And I'm going to fuck him up because he's been trying to, he's been killing all these yeah. people. So it's Faye. I love no, Faye. I can, good, I can see where that comes Faye's from. Good. Yeah, I, I assume Although, Megan, you're with me on Deborah because you know she overcomes all her injuries and her oh, surgery yeah. to save her friend, the nurse that she's built up, yes. and herself obviously, and fights back finally because yes. no, no fucking police officer or producer listens, as you've both very well and eloquently said. So I'll just yeah. do this myself. Absolutely. I love Deborah. I loved her right from the start. Could not agree with you more, Paul. The other thing, too, is that that's kind of the sticking point with me and Faye is just that it really irritates me when she's talking with her boyfriend and she's like, I'm he's like, don't be dumb, baby. And she's like, I'm dumb because of your touch. And I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, but aside from that inane line, Faye is great. I agree. But no, but Deborah, Deborah is in another She's on an, in another level this this week or this episode. Two to go. Best kill across the six films. There's only one option. Oh, this is easy. Oh, for it me has too. to be. Well, for me, I'll go first this time and see if you agree. <laughs> okay. The New York Ripper, the poor kitty, and the straight yes. razor through the face yes. and across the eyeball as it's twitchy. Oh my god, I still can see it. And I, yeah, very oh. very few kills in all my horror films that I've watched. My horror films, the horror films I've watched over the years affected me like this one did maybe it's to do with the eye and i know that as you said that's an uh, italian sort of giallo thing to really get yep. stuck in there there's another one which we won't quite get to this time around an Argento what a film fucking called, realistic called oh. nipple oh the nipple you know the, eye the nipple as well but sliced the nipple. in half oh, oh the nipple like it makes my own <laughs> nipples hurt just yes about correct it. it's like yeah. oh god yeah. it's so are we all on the same page yeah Ooh. yes 100 yes, yes. Yeah. there's okay. no other everything about that scene close. from not just the kill itself but he's on the phone mocking the cop as yes. he's doing this shit and the cutting back and forth all of it worked and then the best flick out of five, and your score out of five sharp objects megan we'll go to you first we know which one it is but what did you score it <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've already said all throughout that it's visiting hours because this was just such a delightful gem. I'm this, I'm so glad I got to see this. And for me, it's going to be three sharp objects out of five. Okay. Jason? Visiting hours, 3.5 sharp objects oh, out of five. Loved nice. it. We do score out of halves and whole scores here. So effectively giving a score out of 10 if you really are a mathematician playing at home. I'm going to be the discerning and discerning dissenting voice this time, but only just. I'm going the New York Ripper as much as I feel uncomfortable because of how much it did affect me, uh, and I'm I'm going to give it. I can't go as high as three. I'm give it two and a half sharp objects out of five. Can I just say that I originally it was New York Ripper, but and I was like I I, I just put it in a slot and I'm like I don't think it's going to be moved after I watched New York Ripper. Got to visiting hours and it, by the time visiting hours was done. I found myself, and maybe because it was brand new to me, I'd only seen bits and pieces of it, 
it just was a slightly more compelling. I'd already seen New York Ripper multiple times. So that, but anyway, I just, by the end of it, I think mostly because of Ironside and Lee Grant, mm-hmm. it just put it over the top for me. I agree. They're, those two performances just really anchor the film. But yeah. This is but, a, can we say this is an underrated Ironside performance? He's got a lot oh, of famous Yeah. Nobody talks about this mm. performance. They talk this about is, so many others, obviously, yep. and rightfully so, because he's always great. But this is such an underrated performance. I think this might be my favorite performance of his. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's so very good. strong. It's very mm-hmm. strong performance. Like in another, like in another decade... <laughs> Is he nominated for, you know, you think, I don't know. I don't know. I think in another day, I think this is the exact sort of movie we're going to get in the nineties that critics are going to be like, wow, what a great film. (laughs) What the fuck? If this movie came out today, if 20th Century Fox released this movie today, people would be. It would be a bad People would love it. it. Yeah. People would love it. People would love this movie. Much bigger audience for it. I I do agree. Well said, both of you. (laughs) All right. Well, that is 1982 Part 1. We do have, however, 1982 Part 2 coming next week on the Slashes podcast. Uh, And I think it's very important that we acknowledge what those films are. From June 11th, 1982, Humongous. Then from August 23rd, Pieces, infamous Yes! I love it. We know Jason's favorite already. Can't fucking wait for you two to watch Pieces. (laughs) Deadly Games from September 2nd. The Slumber Party Massacre from September 10th. And then rounding out 1982 with Alone in the Dark, released on November 12th, 1982, is next episode's Blood Pool. All right, then, Megan, you are our social media expert because you remember what they are. Can you tell us, please, how the good folk can get in touch with us and let them know what, let us know what they thought about this episode or indeed the whole Slasher podcast limited release series? Of course. You can follow us on Instagram, where the Slashers podcast, or you can follow us on Letterboxd at the Slashers. And I think that about brings us to the end of this episode been an absolute pleasure well it hasn't it's been a real slog this week talking about not talking about it watching these films it's like thanks paul yeah thanks a lot (laughs) thank you jason thank you megan check them both out at their shows binge movies and spoiler piece theater me i'm at the countdown thanks so much for joining us and remember we'll catch you later